0: This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, good morning, I'm Jeremy, uh, one of the pastors here at the Axis and happy beautiful weekend. Um, Finally, we get a Saturday and Sunday. Uh, It's pretty. Um, It's uh, really glad to have y'all today. If you're visiting with us here for the half marathon, welcome. I'm glad you're alive. It's a big deal to survive uh, such, a, such a run. Glad you're here. Uh, but seriously, uh, if you're a visitor with us uh, following our time together today, I'd love to meet you. I'd um, love for you to uh, stay after and introduce yourself to me. love to know a little bit more about you. Uh, a couple things as we get going here. Um, we've got 31 um, that went on our youth camping trip. Um, that are they're finishing up their time there now it's been an incredible weekend for them uh, so we miss them. I believe some of them might be live streaming um, and uh, anyway, just want to say hey to them and also I ask as many that will to be praying for my grandparents um, 87 and 88 years old my grandma's turning 88 on Thursday um, they're both um, really really close uh, to seeing Jesus face to face, which is to be celebrated. Uh, but on this side of things, it's tough. Um, my grandpa's my, my best friend my whole life, um, and no one else that I want to be like more than my grandpa. Um, so be praying for us. We're heading out. Um, we finish up here this morning to go spend a couple days uh, there with them. Um, they've been married, uh, I think it's like 65 years or something, and uh, he still calls her his bride. Uh, he's, he's more in love now than he's ever been. Uh, she's had dementia and Alzheimer's for about 10 years now, and he's, he's more proud of her today than he's ever been. And he loves her more today than he ever has. Um, it's been a blessing to learn a lot about marriage, um, from just watching my grandpa care for her. So anyway, be praying for us, be praying for them, be praying for my parents. It's really difficult on my dad, um, as some of you all have experienced before, um, And some of you all can imagine. Anyway, just a personal note there. Be praying, please. For my Papa and Mama Rose. Um, And now I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6. There should be some Bibles around close by, underneath the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you do now. Uh, Take that one. Write your name in it. Make it yours. um, Mark it up. Highlight it. Read it. Spend time with it. It's the best thing you could ever be given. Uh, Luke, uh, chapter 6, if you have trouble finding it, it's towards the back right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, hanging out in Luke, and chapter 6. This is our 21st week uh, through our study um, of Luke, uh, where we go verse by verse... Last two weeks, we've gone half verse by half verse. Um, We're going to knock out a couple this week, um, but we're just taking this book and working methodically and faithfully through it uh, as we learn more about Jesus. Learn more about Jesus from a man named Luke, uh, who was a, a skilled doctor and a respected historian of his day. And you find out in chapter 1 of Luke that he wrote this in order to give us an orderly account concerning the things that he's heard about Jesus. And this is our hope as well. Not that we'll go to culture or maybe what we've heard before, but that we'll have fresh eyes to look at the Bible and find out from its true source who is Jesus. Let's learn more about Jesus, the one that we're to love, the one that loves us, the one that's lived for us, the one that's died for us, suffered for us, beat death for us. Let's learn more together about the one that we're to live for, the one who gives us true hope and lasting hope. So this is the adventure that we're on. Now, as we head this text today, specifically, we're going to be considering a central aspect of Christianity a vital aspect of Christianity that many today, unfortunately, misunderstand. Uh, We're going to hear from Jesus regarding the normal life for those who follow him faithfully. You see, the New Testament doesn't have a category for half-hearted Christianity. It doesn't have a category, it doesn't have a paradigm uh, for this. It doesn't have a category of thought for, Chris, for Christianity that follows Jesus casually or at a distance or following Jesus because it's the comfortable way or it's a safe way of living life or following Christianity simply for the the safer environment you have to have friends. These things perhaps might be true at some level. It's a great place to find friends, but this is not guaranteed us, nor is it spoken of in this way in the New Testament. I see today's sermon as extremely relevant for every one of us. And here's why. It's because I have a fear that some of us may be following a form of Christianity that simply isn't following Jesus. In other words, I see this as urgently important for us today because many of us may be religious. Maybe many of us here are very religious and following Christianity's way as like a religion. We've reduced it to rules and patterns and practices and regulations, a checklist of things, do the right thing at the right time, say the right thing at the right time. So we're very religious, but maybe we might not even be Christians Some of us could be following Christianity's way but never truly experiencing a relationship with Almighty God. You see, you can follow Christianity at a distance, at arm's length, and it's almost like you're inoculated to the truth. It's like what a flu shot is for us. You get just enough of the real thing to keep you from getting the real thing. And we're at danger here. We're at danger. Many of us, all of us are at risk of getting just enough of Jesus, just enough of Christianity, yet missing the heart of Christianity, missing Jesus Christ. So I hope that we all pay attention deeply here to what Jesus is talking about, and he'll guide us here. So some context for our time in Luke, because I don't have time for us to start in Luke 1 and catch us up, but trying to give us some sort of context where we are in Luke 6 is Jesus just called his 12 disciples, okay? and he's got hundreds of other disciples and followers around him, but he's got 12 unique ones that he's called to himself for a particular mission of starting the Christian church after his resurrection. Those are called his apostles. He's got many disciples, but he's got 12 in particular that are gonna be his apostles. So they're all there, hundreds of disciples and followers, hundreds of sick people who've come to him for healing that Luke tells us about. And also there's um, other followers, skeptics, the religious, uh, the doubters, the seekers that are all gathered, lots and lots of different people from different backgrounds, many people. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them something about himself, something about his kingdom. And so he begins what's referred to here as the Sermon on the Mount. And so today, Jesus is continuing to show us, as we looked over the last couple weeks, he's continuing to show us what the values and the norms and the standards of his kingdom, what they are. And he begins this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with what has been commonly known as the Beatitudes. These blessed are statements. And then he tells you why you're blessed for, for being this. Um, It's a a way I love to to hear, and I I read this, a theologian uh, said that blessed means basically you have the applause of heaven on your life for this reason. Blessed are, congratulations to you, that sort of thing. So follow along in verse 20, we'll start there, and then we'll get to our text for today. So uh, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Poor as in poor in spirit. Those who are humble and low before the Lord. Okay? You take God seriously. You don't take yourself too seriously. Humble before the Lord. For yours is the kingdom of God. In other words, you will not experience the kingdom unless you're poor in spirit. Unless you're low and humble. The proud don't need it. The humble and low can't wait for it. Now, blessed are you who are hungry now. This hunger is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you will be satisfied. And then what we looked at last week is blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who weep and mourn, we learned from Matthew, for you shall laugh, or as Matthew records the same sermon in his way, you shall be comforted. And now for our passage for today, Luke chapter 6, 22 and 23, congratulations or blessed are you when people hate you and when people exclude you, when people criticize and insult you or revile you. And when they slander you and reject you or spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man, a very important distinction that Jesus makes there. Blessed are you when you're hated and ridiculed like this on account of the son of man, not because you're being an arrogant jerk, but on account of Jesus, Son of man is how he referred to himself most commonly. And then verse 23, In fact, I tell you to rejoice in that day, leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And the New Living Translation puts it this way. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember this, their ancestor treated the ancient prophets that same way. Well, now what's been his custom up until this point in this sermon, Jesus says something very different than what we consider to be true. We generally consider those who are being hated and left out as unhappy, right? You see someone being insulted. Um, ridiculed and left out, you're not thinking, well, they're blessed. If we see that, we often will feel a couple things. Uh, We'll feel sorry for them, but then there's also something where we're glad the attention isn't on us, and we kind of are thankful that we're not in their shoes. I mean, even think about like playground, like growing up, playground. You saw somebody bullying a kid. It's like, man, I feel sorry for them, but I'm glad they're not doing it to me, right? When we see this This is often our response. We don't typically look at someone who's being excluded or ridiculed and think, man, you know what? They should be so happy about this. They should be pumped. They should be elated. And I'm kind of jealous. I'm kind of jealous that I'm not experiencing what they get to experience. But Jesus says these people are blessed. There are certain people, but not all. There are certain ones that are hated and slighted, made fun of, left out, that are considered blessed, and they should rejoice when these things happen. Now, there are many religions um, that, that promise big things. Uh, there are many life coaches around today uh, who, who make their living off of promising you success and your career goals if you follow their counsel and give them some money, right? I know for sure there's diets and supplements that offer guaranteed results, okay? We hear from many different places, many different things that cry out to us, buy this, And you're going to have your dreams come true. Buy this, take what we're offering, and you're going to be happier. Many things offer these promises. They speak of wonderful things that are going to happen. It's like you get that phone call. You've won five nights and six days at a resort in the Bahamas. It's a lie. Don't do it. I've done it four times. It's always cost me a lot of money. No, I haven't. I'm just kidding. Right? But we we hear these things. They're making these big promises. And on the back end, they hook you. On the back end, it actually does cost something. Right? Well, Jesus never talks like that at all. That's not the way of Christianity. Jesus is unlike other religions in this. He's like anything else. He's unlike anything else. You see, because this, and this is a very important but fragile distinction here to make, is Christianity absolutely does help you in many ways in every area of your life. There's no doubt about it that in the long run, Christianity is going to help your relationships. Right In the long run, it's going to help guide you into wise decisions. In the long run, Christianity is going to help you develop uh, perseverance and self-control. It definitely will help with stress and anxiety and fear that you may carry. In the long run, absolutely. But Christianity never promises you your best life right now. It never does. Search its pages. It never tells you that it's going to answer all your questions It never tells you that it's going to take care of your financial problems. It never tells you that it's going to take all of your relational tensions and stresses and remove them. And it never promises you a life free of worry. Never. It never says you're never going to experience stress. But Christianity will certainly bring these things about. But Christ never says, come to me and I'm going to help you get rid of all your stress. Come to me and I'm going to give you all the money that you ever wanted and I'm going to make your dreams come true. Come to me, I'm going to help you lose weight. Jesus Christ doesn't say these things. But what Jesus does say, he says, come to me and live for me. I want you to live your life to spread my gospel of hope, and you'll have a whole new direction in your life. Jesus says, point blank, many times, following me will cost you. It will cost you everything. And he says this up front. But in following me, he says, you'll find life and you'll find everything else. It says in Luke 9, 23, if you're to follow Christ, you have to do something that is antithetical to our culture today. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny yourself. And then not, he doesn't say take up your latte or your beach chair, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me not, not, it, like, that kind of goes back to a proverb Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 uh, don't trust in yourself but, but lean onto him, trust in him not following your own way deny yourself, take up a cross and follow me this is why I like Christianity this is why I don't feel like I'm getting tricked This is is what I love about Jesus, is he's he's bold enough to know exactly what he's asking you into, and he's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's bold, and he's honest, and he's telling us the truth up front for what it means to follow him. And I pray that you see him for this, and that you trust him because of this. He's not hiding anything from you. He says basically in Matthew 6, 33, seek first my kingdom and its righteousness and a lot of other things will be added to you as well. But who cares about those things right now? I want you to seek first my kingdom. Seek first its righteousness. Seek my peace. Spread my hope. Hunger for true righteousness. Seek to be poor in spirit and low before the Lord. Weep, lament, and mourn. Seek to be tender-hearted in this way. You see, following Jesus is a whole new direction in life. So, I encourage you to come to Christianity. I encourage you to come to Jesus. But don't come to Christianity because you think it's relevant, though it certainly is. Don't adhere and subscribe to Christianity because it's exciting, because it certainly is. But but don't give your life to Christ because you think He's going to solve all your problems, though He certainly will. I encourage you to come to Christ because He's true, because He's honest. I know that rarely occurs to us Americans because we're not really concerned uh, if if it's true. We're we're concerned on if it's relevant. Is it exciting? Will this help me? Will it solve my problem? And here's where it gets most all of us is what do I get out of it today? This is why so many find it so difficult to follow Christianity and to trust Jesus. It's because we're promised very little about today. But there's great hope and great promise for forever. But we don't seem to care much about, is it true? So I want us to be asking different questions. Instead of asking, is it relevant? Is it exciting? And will this help me today? What do I get out of it today? Ask questions for those who are seeking among us here. Ask the question, is he really the king of all creation? Is he king of the universe? Is he king over everything? Ask yourself, did he really create me? Ask yourself, is Christianity true? Did he really, did Jesus really beat death? That's really the the only reason to accept it or reject it. If it's true, then you accept it. If he really is is the king, then you give yourself to him. You reorient and rearrange your whole life around him. You see, Christians are those who no longer live merely for the things of this fleeting and passing world. They live for something greater. They live for the glory of God, not the glory of their belly or the glory of their comfort. They live for the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that once you become a Christian, once you enter into the kingdom of God, you have a, a whole new direction in your life, a whole new meaning, a whole new um, depth to reality, a whole new purpose. There's significance there where there, it was lacking before. You have an entirely new reason to live life. And what Jesus is telling us here through this final beatitude is that living this way, you'll be treated a certain way, you will be persecuted. In other words, if and when you become a Christian, you'll have a whole new mission in life, and a way that you know that you're on that mission is you're getting persecuted. That's a sure sign of it. You're getting persecuted. You see, Christians are those who are like Jesus. They're being changed and transformed into his likeness each day, slowly, but they're on that trajectory, changed from the inside out. So Christian, you're to be like Jesus. Jesus. You're in the family of God. God is your father. You're going to look like him. Jesus is your brother. You're going to look like him. You're going to have a family resemblance. In other words, don't be surprised if you've got nails, thorns, and spears coming at you. Don't be surprised by this. Christians are like Jesus. And John 1, 11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And what Jesus is telling us here is expect the same. What he's telling us is don't expect it to be any different. So a way to ask yourself if you're living life like Jesus, living in obedience on mission, is to ask yourself if you're regularly experiencing relational rubs, not because you're an arrogant jerk, not because you're trying to win an argument, but because of your faith and hope in God. Regularly being frustrated by resistance from others, being labeled as the Christian lady at work. Your family not understanding your faith and belief in Jesus, and you're considered weak-minded or gullible for your faith in Jesus. Uh, often being just misunderstood even to the point where others around you say that you make them feel judged and you literally don't know what you're doing to make them feel that way. They very well could be feeling that way because you're simply living a humble and loving Christian life, seeking to love God and others and you're growing more and more carefree of the things that they care so much about. That promotion, not that big of a deal. If I get it, cool. If I don't, I'm not gonna hate the other guy who gets it. want to congratulate him. Oh, you make me sick. Have you experienced that before? You see here in Luke, Jesus is speaking about one particular kind of suffering. It's suffering for him, suffering for the gospel, suffering for the fame of the son of man, Jesus Christ. Not suffering because you're rude, proud, or self-righteous, but being rejected because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You see here, Jesus isn't pronouncing a blessing on those in general who receive criticism, but on those who are criticized and condemned for following him. So for them, these insults and persecutions and teasings are occasions of celebration. And you know, if you think about it, Jesus is speaking most specifically to his disciples who became apostles, all of whom suffered violent persecution and most of whom they died horrific deaths at the hand of their enemies. And this was all for Jesus' sake. They were hated, excluded, chirped about, mocked, spurned, and killed. And in this way, it was proof of their discipleship. It was proof that they were following Jesus. I love how clear Jesus is about this. Again, very upfront, okay? In John 15, before his death... He speaks to his disciples and he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I've said to you. And it's implied that this was a thing for them, that Jesus said this often. A servant is not greater than his master. In other words, if they do it to me, they're gonna do it to you. If they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. If they kept my word, they'd keep yours too but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know God. They don't know God. He says, because they do not know him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? God, God the Father. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not die. They'd live forever. They simply don't know God. So what's my point here? What's Luke's point Christian, to follow Jesus is to share in this rejection. To follow Jesus is to share in these sufferings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He died as a martyr at age 39. He said this. Suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. And the church are those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ, to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. This man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, died as a martyr, executed by hanging at the hand of the Nazis. Bonhoeffer was right when he called this a joy because Jesus told his disciples to rejoice in their sufferings, particularly when they're being mocked and ridiculed for following him. And they must have taken these words to heart because later on in Luke book two or Acts, if you will, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts all right? So in Acts chapter 5, 41, Luke tells us that when the apostles were beaten by the religious, they were beaten by the Sanhedrin, the religious uh, council, 21 to 23 different Pharisees were on this legal board, and they had these apostles beaten there. They left the, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They weren't surprised by it. Because Jesus said this would happen. And some people are following a Jesus who doesn't exist that promises your best life today. And you're surprised when bad things happen. And when bad things happen, what do you run from? You run from Jesus. Why? Because you followed a Jesus that said everything was going to be okay. You followed a Jesus who said, you're going to make all your payments. You followed a Jesus that said, you're going to get a promotion. You're going to be fit. Your dreams are going to come true. You're going to have no more relational stress. So when those things don't happen the way that you expected, you bail on Jesus. No, you don't bail on Jesus, friend. You bail on a Jesus that doesn't exist. We bail from that Jesus. Jesus would bail from him. But you're not bailing from the real Jesus. You see, the real Jesus is upfront and honest. He said that you will have trials, you will have sufferings. But he's with you through those trials, through those sufferings, working out incredible things, producing something in you called your sanctification changing you into someone who's more and more like him. It's through the struggle that you become like Jesus. It's through developing a gospel grit of digging deep to find your true hope. This is where Godliness, holiness, and Christian maturity comes from. And so if you follow a Jesus that promises none of that, then when that happens, you run. You see, as we live for Christ, we're going to have struggles with our families. We're going to receive disparaging comments from different communities. We're going to face difficulties in our work. We're going to have insults and false claims made about us. We're going to be teased by friends and family and coworkers. And I know this. I understand what this is like. You're going to be misunderstood. But friend, Christian, don't grow bitter. Don't be angsty. We don't... The world doesn't need Christians who's always trying to get even at their enemy, the ones who insult them. We're going to see next week where Jesus says, Love your enemy. And it comes right after this. Interesting, isn't it? He's got like three woes there in Luke, and then in verse 27. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. It's not a coincidence that comes right after what we're talking about right now. Because it's going to be so easy when you're ridiculed to get angsty, bitter, and begin to fight back. No. When this happens, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Whatever we suffer, If it is because of our faith in Jesus, then we can rejoice in the hope of a great reward one day and receive the very comfort of God. You see, Jesus isn't talking about a reward here and now. Whatever blessings Christians receive in this world, the full reward of the persecuted is reserved for eternity. And we believe this and hold to this by faith, that God will one day in the highest courts of heaven bless us and reward us. It's gonna be a reward to be there. It's gonna be grace upon grace To be rewarded for things that we endure here. You see, Jesus teaches this in Luke, the Sermon on the Mount, but he also models this through his life and his death. He models for us what this looks like. He models for us this in history. You see, it's in the gospel that we learn that Jesus willingly stepped into ridicule, Jesus willingly stepped out of paradise, out of perfect comfort, to step into mockery to step into ridicule, to step into hate, to step into persecution, to step into beatings, to being misunderstood, being falsely accused in order to be able to reconcile you to God. That's all. In order to be able to provide you with comfort as you receive persecution. In Hebrews, we're told, it's a book in the New Testament, we're told that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Rejoice when you're ridiculed. For joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. And he does this because he loves you. Friend, some of you are here this morning, and that's, that's the big thing you need to hear, is that God loves you, he knows you, and He cares. You know that regardless of what your current circumstance says, you know that because of what you see him do with his son on the cross. In the day-to-day, if you feel like he doesn't care, friend, I pray you hold fast and look in that rearview mirror and look to 2,000 years ago where you saw God's son on a cross suffering and dying, being ridiculed and abandoned just for you take hope and be encouraged. He did this because he loves you. Though there was nothing good in you, thoroughly eaten up by the disease of sin, and the cure was the blood of Christ. So God sent his son to earth for you to be persecuted, to suffer, to be beaten and killed in order to bring you back to himself. Man, God loves you. I pray you believe this. Now, I want to close with this. Um, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a tremendous minister in England at Westminster Chapel there in London. He's my favorite minister. He's my favorite preacher to listen to. I listened to four of his sermons yesterday (laughs) as I walked 12 miles, not at the marathon, but in my front yard doing yard work. (laughs) Uh, I read almost everything I can get my hands on uh, that has anything to do with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's dead now, which is, by the way, the best kind of hero to have is a dead one, because they're not going to surprise you by leaving their family or using money inappropriately or anything (laughs) like that, right? So there's some comfort there, some wisdom there. Um, But in the early part of the 20th century and before he went into the ministry, he was a physician. He was a very skilled physician, but he left medicine because he realized that he was, he was only helping cure people physically only to free them back into a lifestyle of sin. And so he was convinced that he just had to become a minister in order to assist people with the true cure that humanity needed. That is, they need to be regenerated and forgiven of sin and reconciled back to God. And so he, when he goes into the ministry, several different things happen first. And this is interesting. He took a 90% cut in salary. That's difficult to think, huh? Second, all the upper class society that was his friends and community, that were his friends and community, immediately dropped him and said, well, we have another religious fanatic here on our hands. You see, he was persecuted in that sense. And a few years later, it's, it's recorded that a reporter came to him and said to him, was it worth it? You gained a few things. You lost a few things. Was it worth it? Having weighed it all up, what do you think? And the doctor, that's how he's referred to. The doctor said to the reporter, let me get this straight with you. I gave up nothing and I gained everything. In other words, the reporter asked the doctor, you've lost money, you've lost status, you've wasted time in a, in a very expensive education and, and now you've got people thinking that you're crazy. Is all this worth whatever you got from the Bible? And what the doctor said is essentially, friend, you, you don't really know the first thing about Christianity. The things that I lost used to be my peace and my comfort and my hope based on my performance and my knowledge but now Christ is my hope. He's my peace. And to compare what I have in Christ to those things and to even struggle with it is is sort of like a person saying, and this is an illustration that he used, is, well, I have a million dollars in the bank, but I just hate to spend the 25 cents to put the stamp on the envelope that's gonna get me the money. Can you imagine if you were trying to get a million dollars out and it only took 25 cents to get it? Would you struggle with that? Would anybody struggle with this? And what the doctor is essentially saying is, how can you ask me a question like that? Was it worth it? I gave up nothing, and I gained everything. This is how he could rejoice and be glad in the face of rejection, of colleagues that he respected and loved, cared for, and was friends with. You see, friends, I know that there may be some of you here who, when you consider what it means to give your life to Christ, it might mean somebody's going to laugh at you. It might mean you have to eat a little bit of crow and, and go back on your words and say, because you said before, you're never going to believe Jesus. You're never going to show back up to church and these sorts of things. It may mean that you're going to have to humble yourself in that way. It might mean that, that you're going to be called to do something that, that you don't want to do right now. And maybe you're asking, will it be worth it if I take this leap? Honestly, it's as silly as asking the question as the person with a 25-cent stamp asking, is it worth it? The way I see it is you simply, you give up nothing. By comparison, you gain everything. And I hope that you see Jesus and believe this. I pray that you consider these things. Well, now, <clears throat> Christian, it's time for us now to remember and celebrate the finished work of Jesus by sharing in communion together. Christians are those who believe Jesus. Christians are those who are part of the kingdom of God now and forevermore. They are those who are growing more and more dissatisfied with the present world. Does that describe you? They're those who long for what God has to give them. Christians are those who seek to live bold and courageous lives for gospel advancement, for Jesus Christ. They're those who experience persecution as they live in obedience God's mission, their promise that God will hear them and fulfill their, their longings in the coming kingdom. That's at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 6. People may hate and insult Christians for putting their trust in God's representative, in the Son of Man, in Jesus Christ, but much like the prophets, Christian, you'll receive your full reward from God someday. There are tremendous privileges that disciples and followers of Jesus will experience. Never promised in this life, but never in doubt in the life to come. The hope of eternal blessings and eternal life is made possible through Jesus Christ. And Christians believe this. This hope doesn't come to us by anything that we've ever done or anything that we could ever do. Eternal life and being reconciled back to God comes only to us solely by the grace of God provided to us through the life, death, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, for those who have personally experienced this saving grace of God, who look at Jesus by faith and believe him and trust him, we now have the opportunity to remember his finished work through sharing and communion together. So let's together remember what Jesus has done and remind ourselves that he's taken care of everything that's necessary for us to be reconciled back to God, this being our greatest need. He's taken care of it. This guarantees eternal life for us. This guarantees eternal blessings and rewards one day. Though persecution, chirping, slandering, insults being left out might last for 75 or 80 years, We can take comfort knowing that our blessings will last forever. And this is the hope of every Christian. Christian, this is your hope, and it's made possible through Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take pieces of bread. This bread represents the life of Christ, the perfect, the perfect life of Christ, where he lived every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of his life. Perfect to cancel out every second of your sin. So when you take this bread, remind yourself of the perfection of Jesus Christ. It's faith in what Christ has done that sees your life of sin exchanged for his life of perfection. We remember that by this piece of bread represents his life then we're going to take this bread and dip it in the juice or wine based on your age or conscience. And as you do so, I want you to look at that red liquid that's held before you. It represents his death on the cross, his blood, his death. He suffered for you, friend. He suffered and bled and died for you. In this way, he was our substitute. You see, he was our representative in his life, represented by the bread. He's our substitute in his death represents Represented by the juice or the wine. The extent of God's love for us is beyond what we can comprehend. It's beyond what we can imagine. It's grace. And we don't even really know what that means. It's just so radical, over the top. And so we come and and just bask in his goodness and his grace this morning as we come and remember his work for us. Remember his perfect life and his death for us as us. This is our hope. We're not coming celebrating our church. We're not coming celebrating our perfection. We're not coming celebrating a perfect week. We're not coming and celebrating anything except Christ and the hope that we have in him. So let's not just celebrate this now and go live as if we're celebrating ourselves later. Let's carry the same spirit in and through our week, acknowledging constantly his finished work as our only hope. This is where it's at. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for guiding us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for not tricking us, but being bold enough in, in, in the truth to be able to share it with love, compassion, tenderness, and grace, kindness, but in complete honesty. Thank you for that, Father. Or thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, thank you for sending your son on mission to us, to save us, knowing that there was no way, no way at all that we could ever, ever, ever save ourselves yet you sent your son to be killed, persecuted and killed for us. And our hope is that he beat death, that he conquered sin, death, hell, the enemy, so that we have hope in you that this isn't the end, that this life is just a very small piece of our eternal existence where we'll be with you in your kingdom, where all things sad will become untrue, where all sickness and disease will be gone where there'll be no tears, no suffering, no brokenness, no persecution, no insults. And I'm thrilled to know and believe that your disciples, your apostles are there with you now. Though they suffered horrifically, they're there with you now. This is our hope. Practically, this is my hope for my grandparents, Lord, they'll be with you, enduring sickness and suffering, ridicule, persecution in many different ways. But one day they're going to be cured and perfectly healed and with you. This is my hope for myself. This is my hope for this church. Lord, I pray for those who don't have this hope who are with us here. Perhaps they've been following a Jesus that doesn't exist, Lord, been wounded and hurt by a form of church that isn't healthy. God, I pray, Lord, for clarity of thought, for conviction of spirit. Lord, I pray for for them to, to feel the love and the grace that you have to offer them And that they would see as they come to the end of themselves, Lord, that that they've really honestly never said no to you. And when they hear the invitation to to come to you, all those who've been wounded and hurt, all those who've been slandered and ridiculed, all those who are confused and weary and weak, and Lord, they find rest in you, would they find comfort, would they find salvation and life in you? God, do this. This is part of the reason you sent your son to us. Lord, would our hope be theirs too? Would you make them Christians right now? Would you give them faith right now? In the name of Jesus Christ, would you just heal their sinful heart and give them a heart of flesh where there's been a heart of stone? Give them belief where there's been nothing but proud skepticism, criticism, and doubts. And Lord, help all of our doubts and our fears and our frustrations and our our disbelief Give us faith. Give us grounded, rooted faith so we can persevere through persecution. We can learn to take things on the chin as we drop to our knees in prayer. And with these beliefs about what you said here in Luke 6, when your sermon there on the mount, would we believe this so deeply that it fuels gospel advancement where it produces bold missionaries to live on the streets of Nashville and the streets of Nagpur, India? God, do this work in our hearts change us, develop us, grow us, mature us. And I ask now that you add your special blessing this time of communion as we remember your work for us. I can't wait to thank you for that face-to-face one day as I drop to my knees just in awe of what you've done. We remember you. We worship you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. (laughs) This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.